2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 4, it says, Then David sent messengers to get her. We're talking about Bathsheba. She came to him and he slept with her. 2 Samuel chapter 12, then David has slept with Bathsheba and the Lord is confronting him. And he said, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you as king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master wives into your arms. I gave you Israel and Judah. And if had this not been enough, I would have given you even more. To use the terminology, I just said, God is saying, hey, I have answered the prayer request that you prayed 20 years ago. I've defeated your enemies. I've brought everything you was believing me for. And if this had not been enough, you didn't have to go and sin. You could have just asked me and I would have given it to you. Romans 6 says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. Repeat after me. Say, I am dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it speaks about those of us who are in a relationship with Christ, that the veil has been broken. And as we see Jesus, the same image that we see, we have the ability to be changed and transformed into that image of Christ. Who is it that God is creating you to be? Who is it that he is shaping and forming you into? And what is that thing that if we don't deal with it today, has the ability to upend everything? Today, I want to talk on the topic of settling sin. Settling sin. My name is Rashad, and I am your friend. Let us pray. Gracious one, the creator of heaven and earth, oh, we thank you for visiting us. Clearly, your presence and power are in this place. As we turn our attention towards your scripture, we pray, God, that you will speak a word to us. Individually, God, speak a word to us. Give us eyes to see that which you are trying to show us and ears to hear that which you are saying. And collectively, God, we pray that you will speak to us as a community of believers. We thank you for it in advance. In the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Somebody ought to celebrate the wonderful name of the Lord. Thank you, worship team. If this is your first time here, we are currently in a sermon series called Brick by Brick. Brick by Brick. The basic idea is as we reflect over this last season, whether that season is 2020 or over the past couple of years, there are some storms that have come into our life. And as a result of the storms, they have created some damage. Uh, as I was thinking about it and listening to Pastor Stephen talk about it as well as listen to their sermons, it's almost like when you see the news and you see the wreckage from Katrina and from Irma and all those places and things are settled. There's some damage that has been done. And the idea behind this is that, it, that God wants us to build it brick by brick based upon the relationship that we have by him, with him. And so as I began thinking about it and thinking about how I can contribute to this, I started thinking about, well, before I begin to build, I have to have an image of what I'm building. Before I go and build a house, the contractor doesn't just show up and say, okay, let's just throw this brick here and that brick there and then it'll all come together. I have to be intentional about what I'm building, which goes back to my question. What does life look like 20 years from now? That's what we're building. 
Who has God called you to be? What is the impact he has called you to make? That's what we're building. It's important that you get a very clear picture of what it is that you are building. Because if you don't have a clear picture, you may not want to put in the work. But when I have a clear picture of what it is God has called me to do, and I know with a conviction on the inside that this is what God has called me to do, I'm willing to put in the work. So the first thing, if we're going to rebuild, we have to have an image. We have to have a picture. And Pastor Stephen shared with us that we have to start with our relationship with God. We have to make sure that we have the essential bricks with our relationship with God. And today, I want to share what I believe is a foundational brick, and that is we have to settle sin. Romans 6 said, I am dead to sin and I'm alive to God. Repeat after me. Say, I am dead to sin and I'm alive to God. That is a foundational brick for us as believers. Now, as we are attempting to approach the site to build this, we have to not just build it based upon the way we built it in the past. Because if there is damage, then that means the way it was built, it was not prepared to handle the storm. I'm going to say that again. I can't build the exact same thing I had last time because otherwise when a storm comes again, it'll be destroyed. It's similar. Now, I am not a house expert like Pastor Zai, but I do enjoy seeing houses built. And so I have lived in Chicago, Columbus, as well as D.C., and they all build houses the same way. They build it and determine how big the house is going to be, and based upon how big the house is going to be, they dig down and they dig a foundation. It's typically the basement. And then you drive past and they begin to throw up plywood. Right. And then, you know, one level happens, this next level happens, then they start putting material or elevation over top of the plywood. But my wife and I had the opportunity to live in Florida for about three years. And they built houses in Florida different than they built in Chicago. As I watched a house being built in Tampa, which is not directly on the coast, it's a little inland, they would first lay down a slab of concrete. And instead of putting up plywood, they would put cinder blocks. And at times, they would pour concrete into the cinder blocks. So whereas to in Maryland, you'll see plywood, over in Florida, there were cinder blocks. But then if you go to the beach, they would even build it a little different. They wouldn't put cinder blocks with cement. They would actually build the house on stilts at times that were made of concrete. I have a friend who is um, involved in building houses. And so I said, so explain to me why. I figured I knew why, but I said, hey, explain to me why. And he said, Rashad, in Florida, the question is not if a storm is going to come. We know the storm is going to come. The question is, are you prepared for the storm? The question is, as we are building the house, we know a hurricane is going to come. And it's going to be either a hurricane, a category one through category five. So he said, the smart people with money will build it for like a category seven. They build it with the storm in mind. And I think if, if, as we are rebuilding this brick by brick, I want to encourage you to build a life with the storm in mind. I want to encourage you. Jesus said that there will be wars and rumors of war, that, that, that you will face resistance. But he says, do not fear for I have overcome it. So don't be shook because you see the storm. The storm is going to come. But in Psalm 23, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For he is with me. 
So as we are building this, the, the reason that I, as a guest speaker, is choosing to talk about sin is so Pastor Stephen, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I was going to say so Pastor Stephen, I've got to talk about it. But no, the reason I'm talking about this is because this is a foundational building block. And if we don't get this in place, everything that we build can fall over. John Maxwell said that experience is not the best teacher. It's evaluated experience. That's the best teacher. And so while I am sure you're hearing me, I want us to learn from David to either to even further point out my point of why we need to deal with this today. We find David in this story. David is living in his 20-year vision from God. David found himself at a situation as to where God had answered all of his prayers. He was living in the blessing of God. This is not David that was fighting Goliath. This is not David that was running from Saul. This is not David who was only over Judah. No, this is the David who had conquered every enemy that he had encountered. This is David who was living in answered prayer. And scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that as a result, he was living in his answered prayer and it came the springtime when kings would normally go out to war, but David didn't go. But even though David didn't go, they still had victory. Let me insert to you, just because things are going the way you think they should go does not mean that God is blessing what you're doing. Just because I see what I think is the blessing does not mean that God is blessing that behavior. So David see that he's having victory, so he's not alarmed. So then, he's not in the right place, but we'll talk about that later. So David goes off onto his roof. I'm going to give you the, the Rashad Shabash translation in about two minutes. David goes on his roof, and he sees a fine lady. David had a heart after God, but David also had a heart for the ladies. If you read David's story, you will see how he would find wife after wife. He would find situation after situation, and he did not allow his heart for God to deal with What is the thing that if not surrendered to the Lord has the ability to show up and upend everything that you've believed God for? We're learning from David, though. We're learning from David. So we see David. He goes, he sees, and he sees her. And he says, hey, who is that? <laughs> she looking good. Who is that? And they say she is the wife of this person. I mean, the daughter of this person and the wife of Uriah. He still, verse number four, I read to you early, he still sent messengers to get her. They slept together. She said, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. He says, oh, what am I going to do? He tries to cover up the sin. He brings the husband home, tries to get the husband to sleep with her twice. The husband, a man of honor, says, no, I will not do that. David sends him out. He ends up creating, uh, ends up getting him murdered. He sends him to the front of the line, and then he tells everybody to retreat back. A lust for the ladies has now fully matured into murder. What is that thing that's coming up in 21 days of prayer? What is that thing that God is saying, all I need you to do is give it to me? What is that thing that you keep trying to avoid, that you keep trying to disengage from? David still didn't get it. So then he goes and the prophet or the pastor has to come to him and tell him a story. And in the story, he is saying there's one person who has power and who has authority, and there's someone else who does not have the same power and authority. The person in power and authority takes advantage of the person who does not have. The person who has access to everything he wants takes from the person that has limited access. And David says, oh my gosh, he must be punished. 
David being a righteous king. We all know how to act when we're in church. We know the right thing to say when we're standing in front of the pastor. He must be punished. How dare he do such a thing? And this is where we find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where Nathan says, you are the man. This is what God says. And I'm going to summarize it since we already read it. You are the man who has taken from somebody who did not have access that you had. I have answered all of your prayers. I have anointed you as king. Why couldn't you just be who I called you to be? I gave you everything you asked for. All I ask is for you to respond as somebody in relationship with me. All I ask you to do is be a man or woman of God. All I ask you to do is to let your light so shine so men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As I said before, experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is the best teacher. What we learn from David is that there are small things that if we don't surrender to the Lord, they have the ability to mature and to fully develop. But David, once he realized he made a mistake, Psalm 51, he says, create in me a clean heart and renew within me a right spirit, O God. God, I'm sorry, and I lay it down. Now, I was talking to them in the back, and I told them a little something, and I said, you know, I didn't say this part, and they encouraged me to say it. So they told me to say this, not, not me, okay? I said, part of the reason why I'm talking about this story is what we think about is, oh, we go and sin, and then we ask God for forgiveness, and then everything is okay. If you look at David's life, David was different after this. David didn't have the same confidence. He didn't have the, the same tenacity that he had as a result of it. And I said, it's kind of like people who get saved, especially men who, who are strong and, and have this confidence and they get saved and they all of a sudden become weak and think that like Jesus just walks around saying, hallelujah. It's the wrong perspective. It's recognizing that when God saves you, he wants to take away the sin, but he still has called you to be a person in confidence. He still has called you to be somebody to deal with conflict in a healthy way. He has still called you to go into the marketplace and make an impact. He still called you to be a business person. He still called you to go into the education system. He still called you to go into government. So don't allow a wrong understanding of Jesus or Christianity to stop you from giving it all over to him. We're talking about the God who said, if it had been too little, I would have given you more. God wants to deal with your sin problem, but he still has a calling and a destiny for you. And don't allow your inability to trust God or see the future he has for you to cause you to hold something back that will eventually show up in the bad way. What is that thing? Whatever that thing is, I believe by the spirit of God that God wants to deal with that today. Hopefully you wrote it down. Whatever that thing is, I believe God is here and he's speaking to you. Write it down. Now, I'm going to tell you what it's called, biblically speaking, okay? My name is Rashad. And I'm your friend. It's called, it's a three-letter word. S-I-N. It's called sin. Now, some of you immediately had a visceral reaction. Because you grew up in a church where sin was used as a way to punish you or sin was used to talk down upon you and say, you're going to bust hell wide open if you don't stop sinning. No, 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 no. When we think about sin, we think about lying and cheating and fornication and adultery. Those are all the fruit of sin. But biblically speaking, 
Sin is not defined as merely fornication or merely adultery. No, no, no. If you look in the Hebrew, if you look in the Greek, or if you look in the Aramaic, sin is defined as missing the mark. It's to miss the mark. It's similar to me recently attempting to golf. Had this idea in my mind, right? I saw Tiger Woods, and I'm like, okay, that can't be that hard, right? So then I go to Top Golf. Test it out. You know, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I got scored about 35 points, got the hole in the ball. I'm doing pretty good. So I said, you know what? I need a Sabbath activity. Your pastor has been trying to push me to play golf for like three years. I said, finally, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. And I walked up to the driving range and it wasn't the same as top golf. As I began to line myself up and look at the ball, I would swing and I hit probably 25% of the balls. That means 75% of the balls I missed, or that means I missed the mark. But I noticed when I got my coach, he would come and coach me, and I moved from 75 missing to about 50% of missing. I moved from 50 to I only missed about 30%. Well, I have four lessons. Clearly, I'm a pro now, right? So I try to go without him. I started missing 50%. I started missing 65%. I went back to the lesson. I started hitting more balls. Then I realized as long as the coach was with me or I was following the coach's instruction, I was no longer missing the mark. Jesus talking to his disciples, they are like, oh my gosh, Jesus, why are you leaving? He says, don't worry, I will send the comforter to come alongside you. That word comforter is actually paraclete. It is defined as a coach. That's one who's called to come alongside of you. The way you stop missing the mark is that you realize God has sent his Holy Spirit to walk with you, to talk with you, and to move with you. And as long as you respond according to the Spirit of God, you don't have to worry about missing the mark. But when I try to go and forget my coach, when I say it's not worth the cost, I don't want to pay him his $75. (laughs) All right, so it's missing the mark. But my question is, missing the mark of what? What is the greatest commandment in Scripture? I can't hear you. To love, there you go, to love the Lord thy God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love thy neighbor as thyself. It's in Deuteronomy. Jesus said it slightly different and says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is equal to love your neighbor as yourself. So that means the greatest commandment is for me to love God, to love you, and to love myself. If I take that combined with sin, sin is when I miss the mark of loving God. Sin is when I miss the mark of dealing with you the way I'm supposed to deal with you. Sin is when I miss the mark of viewing myself the way God sees me. Sin is when I go home and I yell at my wife, I don't yell. So I probably should use that example. When you go home and yell at your wife, not because she did something bad, but you yell at her because you're mad. To you, that's sin. When you beat your kids, not because they deserve it, but because you're upset, to you, that's sin. 
When you continue to respond according to insecurity and respond according to your past, not realizing that scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. John chapter one says, to as many as receive him, he gave them the power to be the sons of God, not born of water, not born of blood, not born of the will of man, but born of God. I am no longer responding according to my mother or my father or according to my past, but I respond as someone who's in relationship with Jesus Christ. To live anything less than that is sin. I'm missing the mark. It's important, though, that we see that because in recognizing that it's sin, we, we move to point number one. No, 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 no. I can't, I can't go there yet. I can't go there yet. I can't go there, I can't go there yet. I got to tell you one more thing. Some of you are like, okay, pastor, I get it. I'm missing the mark. But some of you are wrestling with what the Apostle Paul wrestled with. In chapter 7 of Romans, it says, the thing that I want to do, I can't do. But that which I don't want to do, I do do. And I'm, and I'm caught in this conundrum, right? On YouTube, I'm caught. Baltimore County, I'm caught. It's like, I know I shouldn't do that, but I end up doing that. How do I respond to that? Well, there is a theological concept that, is, uh, that can explain this. It's called already, not yet. Say already, already, not yet. To explain it in uh, simple terms, imagine if my friend Jeff B. wrote you a check for a million dollars. I don't even got to say his name. Y'all know who I'm talking about, right? Imagine if he walked up to you and wrote you a check for a million dollars. Some of y'all be like, thank you, Jesus, the prayer works. You would rejoice. You would be excited. You got the check, but you don't have the money. I got the check, but I don't have the money. I know that I have a promise of funds, but I've not yet walked into the funds. It's a theological concept that's already not yet, that, that there are things that I experience in God right now, but there are things that God has for me in the future, and I live according to faith, realizing that while I may not have the full manifestation of that, if I continue fasting, if I continue praying, if I continue quoting scriptures, I know that I will walk into that. One more aspect to explain to you is the difference between lowercase sin and capital sin. Capital sin, especially in the book of Romans, is seen as a cosmic power. It is, it is recognizing that, that sin is alive in the world. But when Jesus came, he said he defeated sin. The sin he defeated is lowercase s. What that means is, if, if we look back at David in Psalm 51, when he's lamenting, he's like, God, I was shaped and formed in iniquity. Scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what did Jesus come and do? Where Jesus came and have set individuals who come into a relationship with him free from having to respond according to the cosmic power of sin. Say that in layman's turn, Pastor Rashad, I will. Sin is still in the world, but those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ does not have to respond according to sin. That answers some of your questions. Don't go around saying, why would God let bad things happen? We still live in a world where there is sin. And the sin, capital S, will not be defeated until Jesus comes back in his second coming. But those who have a relationship with him, when I say I am dead to sin but alive to God, that means that even though I encounter darkness in this world, I don't have to respond according to the darkness. Because I'm a new creature, I have a new relationship. And so I respond according to the relationship I have with God. 
Somebody say, I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive to God. Going back to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can rescue me from the body that is subject to death? But he does not stop there. He says, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Point number one is you. Whew. I'm a, I, I, I got to stay on my time. Point number one, the solution to your sin is found in a Savior. Point number one, the solution to your sin is found in a Savior. If you don't call it sin, then you will not see a solution and you will feel helpless. When we say sin, we're talking about missing the mark. Who is God calling you to be? And what is stopping you from being that? Whatever that is, the solution is found in Christ. Somebody say, I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive to God. So, pastor, okay, I live in this world where there is sin, but how do I not get caught up in a sin? How do I not click on the image? How do I not cuss that person out? How? My name is Rashad. I'm your friend. I want to help you. To paint the fact very simply um, and not turn this into a Destiny College lesson, there's an illustration. Think about a gardening hose, okay? You are the gardening hose, and the world that is full of sin and death is muddy water. I want to, I'm going to put you into the world, but I'm going to say the world will not have effect on you. How is it that I put the hose into the muddy world and not allow the muddy world to affect it? What do I have to do? Say it louder. Cut on the water. Scripture says out of you shall flow rivers of living water. That's the reason scripture says you are called to be salt and light. It does not matter that there is darkness all around you if you've decided that I'm called to be the light of the world. Arise and shine and let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Stop being intimidated by the darkness and realize that light shines the brightest in the darkness. My solution is found in the Savior. And this is not a one-time thing. This is not I say yes to Jesus and I live my own life. It's, no, no, no. Every day I wake up, I need you. That's why I love the end of that song when he said, as the deer pants for the water, that every day I need you. There is nothing I can do where I can do it in and of myself. God, I need you. Woo! I'm about to run, but I'm trying to calm myself down, all right? Point number one, the solution is found in the Savior. Point number two, whatever it is that you've written down on your paper that is called sin, you got to make sure you stop for the right reasons. It is possible for us to attempt to stop what we're doing for the wrong reasons. What is the right reason? The right reason, Scripture says, that with loving kindness has God drawn you. Scripture says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was love that called you into a relationship with God. It was love that caused him to save your soul. So therefore, whatever you're going to stop, it needs to be stopping in the name of love. Because why you stop will determine what you worship when you stop. So if I don't stop for the right reason, I can find myself worshiping the wrong thing. Yes, I believe in Dave Ramsey, but if the only reason you're stopping is because Dave Ramsey said so, you can find yourself worshiping. What are the reasons that you stop? 
It's possible to see good results without God being involved. I got to make sure I'm stopping for the right reason. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, Paul is talking to the church here, and he says, now that you are in a relationship with God, why is it that you are still approaching things like the world, saying, taste not, taste not, touch not, handle not? Why are you still measuring yourself based upon the standards of the world? That will lead to what is called will worship. You can put it on the screen so they at least see the reference. They call that will worship. In essence, what he is saying, if you respond according to the ways of the world, taste not, touch not, handle not, that will lead you to worshiping your will because you are stopping because of your will. That, that leads to single people saying, well, I ain't having sex, so that means God and I are good. That leads to somebody saying, well, I'm paying my child support, so that means I'm, I'm being the father God called me to be. That leads to somebody saying, this is what my plan was, and God has good for me, so I'm not going to check God about my plan. I'm just going to pray that God bless my plan. What that leads to is I can have good results, and I can mistake it for the blessing of God, and I can think that God has approved that which I'm doing. And I look back 20 years later, and this little thing that could have easily been dealt with has fully matured. I got to stop for the right reason. I got to stop because of my loving relationship with Jesus. Let me caution you, Christian, person who is saved for 20 years or more. We have to be aware of this same thing. We have to avoid feeling like God and I are good because I pray. We got to avoid saying just because I read scripture, that means I'm in a relationship. Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline, it's a good book. He said the disciplines. I believe in praying. I challenge my church to pray two times a day. I believe in scripture. I believe in meditation. Some of you need to meditate to help you. I believe in all of the spiritual disciplines, but recognize they are not means in and of themselves. The discipline places us in the presence of a holy and righteous God, and it's God who does the work. So as I pray, I'm not praying just to pray, but I'm realizing I'm going to encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as I enter into his presence, his power is there to change and to transform me. As I read the scripture, I'm not just reading the scripture to get the answer to my problem, but I'm realizing this is living. And that as I read the scripture, I can see myself and I can be changed and transformed into that same image. When I meditate, I'm not just meditating to try to empty my mind, but I realize that that scripture that is living life, if I get it planted in my heart, I will see the fruits of a relationship with God. I got to stop for the right reasons. Stop in the name of love. All right. Anyway, we got to stop for the right reasons. Now we're about to transition to the practical part. Now that we've recognized we have to settle sin. Now that we, we realize, repeat after me, say, I'm dead to sin. Say it loud like you believe it. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. Some of you still are saying, okay, I believe that, but what happens when I try to stop and I can't stop? Sorry. Right? What happens? I I believe that, Pastor, but then when I go home on Monday, she's going to slide in my DM. What do I do with that? (laughs) This moves me to point number three. Point number three is this brick of settling sin must be seen in my systems. It must be seen in the way I approach life. Did you know that 50% of what you do is non-conscious? 
It's automatic. It's called a habit. There's a great book called Atomic Habits. He says, we do not rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. We do not rise to the level of our goals, but we fall to the level of our systems. It's great that you want to have an awesome relationship with God. What are the systems you put in place that will deliver you there? He says, every NFL team wants to go to the Super Bowl. They have that goal. Every NBA team wants to win the finals. What determines what team goes and what team does not go? He said, it's the system that they have in place. What is the system that you have in place for your spiritual life? What is the system you have in place for your family? What is the system that you have in place in raising your kids? I submit to you that your life will be determined not based upon the goals you set, but based upon the systems that are in place. We can go to scripture, and a great example of this is Daniel. If you look at Daniel, scripture says that Daniel had an excellent spirit, that he would go after God. But scripture also says in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel would pray three times a day. Daniel had a system. He had a system of connecting with God. He had a system of encountering God through scripture. And that is the reason why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's a system. That is the reason why we have connect groups. Scripture says where two or three are gathered, God is there. The same God that is here in our midst is there in your connect groups. It's a system. That's the reason that we wake up and do devotions and and read Scripture, because it's a system. It's that if I have the system in place, then it will therefore deliver the results. I am sure I have made a convincing argument to get you to not do sin when you're consciously thinking. But how do I deal with the non-conscious? Now, I don't have time to unpack all of this, but I'm going to share with you one concept that deals with habits. Every habit first starts with a trigger. There's a trigger, there's an action, and then there is a reward. Trigger, action, reward. One of mine has been is that, you know, I have long days and, you know, I like Talenti ice cream, so I found myself eating Talenti ice cream after a long day. Trigger. I had a long day. I deserve a reward. Action, I eat the ice cream. End result, I don't have the same body I had when I was 20. So if I want to stop the ice cream, I recognize the trigger and I interrupt the action. I recognize, oh, I eat ice cream when I want to feel good or not when I feel good, when I want to reward myself. And so realize what are healthy ways to reward myself. Oh, we can play golf. So I change the trigger and interrupt the action. We are going to pray, and I believe that whatever's written on your paper, that God will give you the faith, the courage, and the power to walk into it. But you got to leave this place, and you need to investigate your systems. You need to investigate your triggers. So I'm going to talk about triggers for about three minutes to help you practically. There are five different triggers. How many triggers are there? Five triggers. The triggers are place. Time, mood, moment, and people. Place. We see this and time, actually. We see this with David. Scripture says that in the springtime when the kings go out to war, could it be that David could have avoided all of this if he was in the right place at the right time? The thing that God wants to set you free from, is it that potentially you're getting caught up in the wrong place? 
I mean, we don't typically overeat while we're at the gym. Place matters. We don't typically get high when we're at church. Place matters, right? Or look at time. We don't look at inappropriate things while we're at lunch with our mother. It typically happens late at night when I'm bored. Some of y'all, if you just go to bed on time, you'll be all right. <laughs> Break that trigger. Just go to bed at time and be in your house by 10 o'clock. You'll be all right. Place and time. The next one is mood. Mood. Remember mood rings? They'd attempt to, to kind of say, you know, look at your, your, your ring. Are you in a good mood? I'm going to talk to you later. Mood deals with my, my, my disposition. Some of us, the trigger is found in our mood. There's an acronym that professionals use called HALT. That typically our mood changes if we're hungry, if we're angry, if we're lonely, and if we're tired. Snicker says it like this. We are, you are not yourself when you're hungry. Some of us, us get hangry. Just because I'm hungry does not mean I still don't respond according to who God's called me to respond. Is the trigger the fact that I'm hungry? Number one, get something to eat. Drink some water. But number two, I realize if that's my trigger, I put something in place. And I say, Rashad, even though you've been in meetings all day and even though you have not eaten, that is not a justification for you to respond opposite of who God has called you to be. Drink some water and get your life. That's how I talk to myself, all right? Hungry, angry, lonely. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to just say this, this quick, okay? You can be married and still be lonely. You can be single and not be lonely. Loneliness is not because a person is around. Loneliness deals with an internal disposition. Am I secure in who I am and who God's called me to be? Am I doing something because I'm lonely? Am I telling myself the bad narrative to say, oh, well, because I don't have a spouse, that's my justification and this is the way I make myself feel good? Or is it because my spouse won't give me what I want, then I justify my bad action? What is the thing that if not fully developed... If not, given to God. All right, tired. Next one is moments. Say moments. <laughs> we typically do the same thing after every moment. It can be seen as after I get into an argument with my spouse, I call the same level of friends and I gossip. It can be seen that when I don't feel great in life and I feel like woe is me, I go to the same app to get validation from people I know I shouldn't be getting validation from. But after all, it's the same moment. What is the trigger that needs to be interrupted based upon who God has called you to be? And the last one is people. I didn't say this, okay? Studies are conclusive. Studies, not Rashad. Studies. They tracked 12,000 people over 32 years. You want to know what they found out? They found out that the chances of you adopting the habits of your friends is 57%. They tracked it in obesity, that when somebody became obese, there was a 57% chance that their circle gained weight as well. It worked the opposite, but it's not as powerful that if your friends lose weight, there was a 33% chance that you will also lose weight. Scripture has something to say about this. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and you'll become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Who are your closest friends? 
How do they feel about God? What are their thoughts about marriage? What are their thoughts about working out in a healthy lifestyle? Do they live below their means? How do they view marriage? It is very difficult for you to live the life God has called you to live with friends who do not love God. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. When you leave this place, we are going to pray. We are going to worship. And I believe whatever you're wrestling with, you lay it before the Lord and you will be reminded of the faith and victory that God has provided for you to walk into freedom. But I need you to, when you leave this place, don't let this just be a moment, but commit to the action. Commit to interrupting your triggers. Commit to finding accountability. Commit to leaning into a connect group. Because we go back to David and we see whatever it is that you want that God has called you to have, God wants to not only give you that, but he wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think. He has already provided the solution, but you have to give it to the Lord. But there are some of you who may feel like the way I felt. It's probably about three or four years ago. It was actually during a time of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it was amazing. I was, yeah, it was amazing and it wasn't. Can I be honest? My name is Rashad and I'm your friend, right? Yes, you know, I spent time with God and, and I wrote down dreams. But then also there were parts of me that was coming up. There were, I was being triggered. And I was feeling some kind of way because I'm like, I had to be a Christian like 13, 14 years by now. Like, like why am I being triggered? And honestly, there was some, some guilt and condemnation and some shame that was there. And so I went to sleep that night, said, God, I need you to help. And I, I think that was probably my whole prayer. God help, <laughs> right? So I went to sleep and I had a dream. And there was this pot. And in that pot, there was a, a broth. And in that broth, it looked like there was nothing in there, but there was a spoon. And the spoon started to stir. Now, the hand was black, so I assumed that was my hand, right? So the spoon started to stir. And then a strainer came. And the hand was like invisible, kind of like one of those Marvel movies or something, right? It was invisible, so I felt like that was God, right? And the hand took the strainer and went in and removed all the rotten things. Removed all the bad things. And so I woke up and said, okay, God, what are you trying to say to me? And I was reminded of a scripture that says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but only that which is eternal will remain. You will encounter storms and situations and circumstance, but no, the things that God has placed on the inside of you, those things will remain. And God said, Rashad, that which you're encountering is not because of something bad, but I want to uh, create in you a greater image of my dear son. I want you to walk in a greater level of freedom. I want you to walk in a greater level of impact. I want you to walk in a greater level of victory. But I, being the perfect gentleman, is not going to take anything from you, but you have to offer it to me. What is the thing that God is saying, offer it to me? What is the miracle in you that God wants to do in this season? What is that thing? I believe by the Spirit of God that we are going Number one, I want to encourage you to lay that before the Lord. We are intentionally uh, switching things up, and we're going to go into worship. Why? Because Pastor Rashad can't set you free. Only God can set you free. So we're going to have a worship moment. you got about two minutes between you and the Lord where you go and you lay that thing before the Lord. 
And the God of freedom, the God of victory, the God of breakthrough is going to meet you and he will take that thing away. And then you need to leave this place and look at your triggers. Everybody stand with me right now. We're going to go into worship. Whatever that thing is, I did not ask you if you have something. There is something. There is an image that God wants to shape and form in you. He wants to call you to be a greater uh, spouse. He wants to call you to be a greater parent. He has called you to make an impact, but you've got to be willing to lay it down, recognizing that he has better for you. Let's go into a moment of worship. All I want is to live within your love. Be undone by who you are. My desire is to know you deeper and Lord I will open up again throw my fear into the wind I am desperate for all I want is to live within your love be undone by one, the creator of heaven and earth, we turn our attention towards you. As the deer pants for the water, God, so our soul longs for you. Our desire, God, is to have the best and the closest relationship we can have with you. And God, we lay down our fears, we lay down our insecurities, we lay down our shortcomings. Realizing, God, that the greatest miracle you want to do in 2021 is the miracle in me. So God, we will no longer fight against that which you are doing, but we surrender to you, God. We say, God, move in our life, move in our life, move in our life, God, move in our life, God. We lay down every sin, we lay down every shortcoming, but God, we say, have your way in our life, God. Have your way in our life, God. 
There are some of us, the next step needs to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to me. There are so many things that normally would not happen today. And I believe by the Spirit of God that God rearranged this day just to speak to you. That God wants you to be free more than you want to be free. That God wants you to have an impact more than he, more than you want to have an impact. So there are two things. Number one, there are those of us who need to decide, when I leave this place, I'm going to walk in the freedom and the victory that God has provided for me. And then I'm going to lay my entire life before the Lord and whatever needs to be changed and rearranged, I'm going to change and rearrange. And there are also those of us who need to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Recognizing that Jesus came to defeat death, hell, and a grave, and he wants to provide victory and that freedom to anyone who comes into a relationship with him. Scripture said it's very easy. All you have to do is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, then you are saved and you have the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God. And everything that I just preached is now available to you. Maybe you're in Baltimore County, maybe you're in this room, or maybe you're online. But God is drawing you to a closer relationship with him. You feel the tangible presence of God right where you are. And all you have to do is to accept him. You can repeat after me and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I recognize that you are the Savior, that you have died to set me free from sin. You said if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'll be welcomed into the family. I confess that I believe you are Lord. I confess that you have defeated death, hell, and the grave. I confess that sin no longer has power over me, but I can walk in the freedom that is a child of God. And today, I commit to live as a child of God. Somebody who already knows God needs to repeat after me. Today, I commit to live as a child of God. Today, I commit to live in freedom. Today, I commit to walk in victory. Celebrate with me those who made that decision. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.